New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. It used to be that loneliness was the exception, not the rule. However, these days in Western societies, it's becoming the rule. This seems to be counterintuitive because in this postmodern world, we now have channels for communicating with anyone, anytime, anywhere. We have access to other people at unprecedented rates. Rates our ancestors would have found superhuman. What do we actually need to do to remedy this epidemic of loneliness? It doesn't work to simply be surrounding ourselves with people. So what can we do to have the kind of relationships we're truly longing for? Today we'll be exploring practical advice and simple steps to build fulfilling and deep connections to others in all areas of our lives, and how we can help closeness flourish with our guest, Kira Asatrian. Kira Asatrian is a certified relationship coach who provides individual life coaching, relationship coaching, conflict mediation, and couples coaching. Before becoming a relationship coach, she was director of performance marketing for prominent Silicon Valley technology startups and co-founded an online marketing consultancy. She's the author of Stop Being Lonely, Three Simple Steps to Developing Close Friendships and Deep Relationships. She lives in San Francisco. Join us for the next hour as we explore the antidotes to an epidemic of loneliness with our guest, Kira Asatrian. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Kira, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. I'd love for you to go back and tell us a bit about your personal story in how you began your journey in creating closeness in relationships. Yeah, I started getting really interested in the topic of loneliness really from my own life experiences. I'm I'm one of these people who remembers feeling lonely at a really young age, even in like elementary school, I remember it. And and I and I remember thinking that it was very strange because I had a really supportive family. I have a nice family. I had friends, you know, more or less throughout my life. 
But I always struggled with this certain feeling that as an adult, I recognized as loneliness. Um, and it actually wasn't until I was working at a specific company doing doing performance marketing that I started to feel close to people. Can I just say, like in high school, you use I've heard you say that you um, wouldn't even go to parties, or you would hesitate going to parties and things. Oh yeah, and I and I definitely thought that I was introverted. I thought I was shy, and and it became this thing where. I kind of blamed myself. I thought that if I just put myself out there more that I wouldn't have this feeling. Um, but the but when I started feeling close to people at work as an adult, it was fascinating because I was still shy, I was still introverted. I was still the same person. Um, but but me and the other people that I was around were doing something differently. So it made it easier. Somehow there was another focus going on that helped you in some way. But there was a shift that that actually happened. Your supervisor required something of his <laughs> team. Can you say something about that? Yeah, it seemed like nothing at the time. It's so funny how these things happen. Um, but the guy who was my boss at the time, he's now my husband. Um, <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. But at the time, he he was the first manager I ever had that required that everybody on his team have one-on-ones, which meant that you would go in pairs outside of the office and you would talk about things not related to work. Um, and, and I had never heard of anything like that before. But but the purpose was he wanted us to just get to know each other as as human beings. And what was the purpose of, besides getting to know each other, mm-hmm. in a work situation that would enhance what? It, it, I think it was to enhance a feeling of relatability um, and, and just to sort of start seeing the humanity in the people that you work with. Um, and, and, you know, I think that we were all young, which made us a little bit more maybe amenable to this. Um, if it was a different sort of mesh of people, I think some people might have found it you know, too intimate for work. Um, But we all became great friends out of it. So it was quite lovely. Did you find that you worked better as a team than to to do better work together? Did it? Absolutely, because we knew what was going on in each other's lives, which ended up being a powerful thing to then bring into the work environment. So I know that you say, you point out in, in your book Something like 60% of people between 18 and 34 are feeling lonely, or at least at at some point feel lonely. Mm -hmm. And yet that figure for people over 55 goes down to 35%. So this this group of young people feeling lonely, um, can can you say something about that? Yeah, the... This has become a hot topic for me in my life, um, the lonely millennials. Um, and, and somebody approached me recently and said, does, it, does a 20-year-old really think they're lonely? And I, I said, well, first of all, I did. Um, and I think if they don't, they may believe they're depressed or they may believe they're anxious or something because those you know, notions are, are better understood, I think, by our society. Um, but yeah, people in that age group are lonely. They feel they feel disconnected from one another in an important way. And I think there's many, many reasons why that 
has happened. So let's talk about something, some of that. But first, what would you say constitutes loneliness? What what mm-hmm. are its attributes? Yeah, it's a great question. So the first thing that I would like people to kind of understand about loneliness is that it's not the same thing as aloneness. Um, chosen aloneness is usually called solitude, and it and it can be a very positive experience. It's more about when you would really like to feel connected to other people in your life and you somehow don't know how to make it happen. Um, then, then you go into this spiral of feeling not understood and not cared about and not valued by the people around you. So, yes. And then um, let's talk about closeness then, which mm-hmm. would be the opposite of loneliness. So what would constitute closeness? What, how would you define that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, closeness means um, I define it as direct access to another person's inner world. And so their inner world would constitute their habits, their beliefs, their preferences, their needs, their values, um, all the things that really make you who you are on a deeper level. Um, So when somebody both understands that inner world and expresses, you know, interest and investment in it, then it creates this feeling that I call closeness. You know, as you say that, I can think of so many ways that we block or or or, or just just hide or cloak cloak ourselves mm-hmm. is, is maybe a better word from that kind of intimacy. Okay, do you have something to say about that? Absolutely. I you know when I started writing this book, in my mind, I wasn't thinking about vulnerability. But it's become a, those two topics are now not, you know, they're completely intertwined to me. Um, There is an aspect of making yourself vulnerable that I think is required um, to feel close to other people. But the reality of being distant from the people in your life is, is quite negative and it can be pretty damaging to people on a lot of different levels. So even when we'd say, okay, well, of course, we're close to our family, that may not be the case. That may not be the case. Can and you... lots of people are not. Um, and, and I talk a little bit in the book about how it can actually, those types of relationships that we think should be the closest, usually parent-child and, and spousal relationships, um, if they happen to not be, it, the actual, like the heightened expectations of thinking those should be our closest relationships can can enhance the the spiral of loneliness. So you're saying that you can be lonely within your family Absolutely. or within your marriage or within your, your love partnership. Yes. I think a lot of people aren't quite aware that that may be what they're feeling. They may be feeling dissatisfied in their marriage. They may be feeling, you know, like their parents are stuffy or who knows. <laughs> but but part of my, my purpose of writing the book was to bring awareness that what you might be feeling is this feeling of loneliness. So I'm thinking um, like one of the reasons that we might not want to have that intimate connection with our family members is that we might disappoint them mm-hmm. or we might receive criticism 
Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons. I think it goes in a lot of different directions. You know, children often don't want to reveal too much private stuff because some of it may be embarrassing or they don't want to, you know, let their parents down. I think parents can withhold information, too, because they want to maintain a certain image to their children. And even siblings do this as well if there's like a competitive element they won't end up being quite as close as they could be because they want to compete, you know? Right. Yeah. Although there is a kind of um, setup in families that there's a, um, a long history of being together, and that's really magical, that this shared history and shared experience that one could build on. Yeah, there's a ton of potential in families, um, and, and, you know, with— extreme circumstances aside, uh, it is worth looking for close relationships within your family because, as you say, um, you know each other over long periods of time. And there's a certain amount of, like, cultural, you know, uh, energy towards bringing families together. Or there's something about a lot of men, actually. This is a little bit of a tangent. But a lot of men have told me that men feel odd feeling getting close to other men unless they're in their family. So, like, that's one example of of a reason to try to get closer to your family members. Although that may be shifting in our culture now with, you know, talking about bro friends and <laughs> things like that. So, you know, I mean, there is some—I feel that there's some something shifting slightly. I want to— uh, let our listeners know that I'm here with Kira Asatrian, and she's a certified relationship coach, and she's also the author of Stop Being Lonely, Three Simple Steps to Developing Close Friendships and Deep Relationships. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Kira Asatrian, and she's the author of Stop Being Lonely, Three Simple Steps to Developing Close Friendships and Deep Relationships. Kira, um, we're talking about closeness and, and, and caring. Uh, this is one of the steps, is to, to care for others, to show mm-hmm. a caring for others. This doesn't mean caretaking, does it? It doesn't mean caretaking. Yeah, those are those are two separate ideas to me. Uh, the definition that I use for caring is just being interested and engaged um, with somebody else's well-being. 
So what that means is, well, there are a couple things I try to distinguish it from. It's not worrying about them, and it's not advising them on what they should be doing, which are some sort of um, ways that we are often taught to show that we care about somebody. This is more just being present and available to them if they, you know, if they want to talk about their inner world. <laughs> so, but that doesn't just happen magically. It doesn't. It, you know, it doesn't, but it's subtle. It's mm -hmm. more subtle than than people would realize. Because the thing about, you know, if you know that somebody's going through a hard time and you approach them and say, you know, I'm, I'm worried about you or what have you, that that is caring, but it can prompt the other person to immediately be like, no, everything's okay. And it and it's really to ease the discomfort of the other person. So you there, mean, it's like, a, there's a subtlety. If, if we ask someone, say, I'm worried about you, they mm -hmm. immediately want us to take care of us as the questioner saying, oh, I don't want them to worry about me, so I'm fine, I'm fine. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, or it can feel like some kind of affront like, oh, you notice that something's wrong. Like, yeah. I need to shape up or what have you. Yeah. It's really more just about making yourself available to the other person. So if you're—this uh, just reminds me, it's like a matter of noticing something and, like, what might be another way of approaching it. If you notice mm -hmm. something about a friend or a coworker or even your partner, your love partner, mm -hmm. What might be a question we would ask? Yeah, the noticing bit is super important. Um, well, first of all, I would suggest, you know, going somewhere private so that this isn't like a public statement that you're making about them. Once you are with them in private, you can really just say, I noticed that, you know, you've been looking a little down or something. And it's a, it's a truthful statement, but it's not, I'm worried about you. Because yeah. then it's about you all of a sudden. Right. Or, or. I, I notice you've been pretty quiet lately. Right. You know, something like that. Yeah, yeah. that's even more delicate. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's starting to develop that skill of being with another without, as you say, without trying to fix them. Totally. Or without telling them that you're worried about them. But you're showing concern. Right. And, and not assuming that you know what's going on because you really may not. Um, but but you are making yourself available in a way that if they wanted to share with you, you know, what's been going on, you are happy to be there for them. And maybe that would be a follow-up question saying, well, if you ever need to talk, I'm here or something like that. What, what would you say? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. So in other words, not fixing problems and high noticing. So this is kind of showing a kind of empathy, would you say? Yeah, empathy is a big part of it. Empathy is a, you know, is has become a bit of a loaded <laughs> word yeah. in our culture at this moment. Um, the way that I define it is being able to feel someone else's feelings, uh, which can sound a little a little fruity, um, but but the purpose of it is um, really reading expressions, reading, reading the room is sometimes what we call it in coaching. It's getting a sense of what you feel like is going on and then checking in with them. I, I notice uh, you've mentioned in your work, you mentioned several research studies. Mm -hmm. And there was one that was 
particularly interesting to me. It was a Harvard study, and it was um, what I loved about this study is that it went over seventy five years of research. That's <laughs> yeah. how long it was. The the arc of it, and. Um, can you do you remember that particular yeah, the Harvard research? Grant study? Yeah. Can you say something about it? Oh, it's an amazing study. It's still going on. They're still tracking these people. Um, yeah, so it, it was all men, but they but they tracked these men over seventy five years um, to see essentially what first of all what made them what made some people live longer than others, and then what made people you know self report that they were happier than others. And the the number one, a number one thing that made people happy and made them live longer was healthy relationships. Interesting. Or the ability to be intimate in some ways. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that just reminds me, the health benefits of of being close to another or having that closeness. Uh, what are the health benefits? Yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard for studies to measure closeness specifically. Um, but the way that they usually think about it is in the loneliness part. So, um, so yeah, if you report being chronically lonely, it's, it's as bad for you as a lot of the things we know are bad for you, like smoking, obesity. It's, it's, it's also actually related to dementia, which is a, a little scary. Uh, they, whoa, <laughs> that ought to get people in, on yeah. the bandwagon for closer relationships. Yeah. What, what I talk about in the book is that it acts a lot in, in the same ways that stress does in the body. And we know a lot about how bad stress is. So stress like can equal inflammation. So pain in the joints, Yes, it's inflammation. It taxes the Im immune system. Um, it it also, to me, it makes sense that it acts in the body like stress because we're just really, really social creatures. You know, the last twenty years or something have made some of us feel like we don't need to be as social as we as we maybe do. But our bodies are ancient, and from the body's perspective, if you don't have anybody in your life who understands you and cares about you, it it really is stressful. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. So how how would you say in this postmodern times, mm -hmm. um, um, what about <laughs> our culture hinders closeness? Yeah, there's a number of things that have happened. Um, uh, some of the big ones are just social changes, meaning a lot of people move away at a certain age. Uh, well, a lot of people move a lot in general. Um, the most common living arrangement is living alone, which is its own, you know, issue that people have to then go find people outside of the home to be close to. Uh, and then the one I talk a lot, the most in the book is, uh, is technology and how technology is, has inserted itself into our relationships. You have a unique view in that, in I that don't. you've worked in Silicon Valley and you've worked with startups and you, you really have been in the... Uh, belly of the beast, so <laughs> to speak, and so you have you have a lot to say about uh, technology and how um, it may be changing the way we think. Mm -hmm. What in the world? What are you saying <laughs> there? All right, that's a powerful statement. Yeah, I, uh, in that moment, I was speaking, you know, to everybody, but but mostly to the people who really developed themselves through interacting with technology, meaning they grew up 
with, you know, their phones specifically as one of their teachers about what the world is like. Um, and, and the one thing I talk about a lot in the book is, is how most of our personal technology is designed to be super, super efficient. And in some ways, I, I believe that we are losing some patience for, you know, real-life, messy human interactions when we spend so much time interacting with our devices. That's a really good point because I know you also say in your work uh, that it's not efficient mm-hmm. to cultivate closeness with another. It's not. It takes it takes time, <laughs> and you have to pace yourself. You know, you're not going to get all. You're not going to get the benefits of a super close relationship out of one interaction. So, if you do, something's crazy about that. <laughs> yeah, all right. So there you are. There you are. You know, and yet our technology, and going back to Henry Ford and the assembly line, mm-hmm. is we have, are culturally, for many, many decades, we have gone for what is efficient. Uh, yeah, and what is and what is transactional? Yeah, transactional. That so can be I, measured and yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, and if you know a lot of the ways that we well, I'll give you an example. So in another time and place, you know, going to the grocery store to to get some food was kind of somewhat of a social activity. And you would probably talk to some people on the way, whether or not it was that deep or not. There would be opportunities to see people that you probably saw regularly and you could develop a relationship with them. Now it's purely transactional. It's just, you know, get me my food and I'm going to go back home to my space. And even some grocery stores have that checkout where you don't even have to have a checkout person that you check it out yourself. You scan your own stuff. Exactly. And if you live in San Francisco like me, we have this thing called Instacart and you don't have to do anything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there, it just yeah, shows sorry. up at your door. It just show, it, right, and and also this this also points to we do like online workshops, you know, that totally. we don't actually rub shoulders with a physical person that we just are online or online shopping, as you say, you know, and it's delivered pretty soon by drones. And <laughs> <laughs> that's right around the corner. Yeah. I mean, it's in a way it sounds silly, but but there were opportunities to get to know people in your community that, that just are dwindling. You know, one of the things that I do... Um, when I do banking, especially banking for New Dimensions, I don't use the ATM. Mm-hmm. I go into the bank, and they all call me by name. They say, <laughs> hi, Justine, how are you? And I know all of their names. Mm-hmm. And it's like this, it's just so wonderful. Yeah. I, I, I just love it that they know me. I mean, they recognize my face and they recognize me and ask me how I am. And it, it's a very sweet thing. Yeah, it's comforting. It's comforting in a, in a way that, you know, I, a lot of us are sort of losing touch with in a way. Um, and I always think about, you know, the the working from home situation because there are so many upsides to it especially if you're a parent, like there's lots of good reasons to work from home. But some of those people that are there physically in the office could have been your close friends. And now that opportunity isn't isn't the same as it once was. I think that you pointed out that the 
uh, at Yahoo mm-hmm. that they, at one point, the CEO said, okay, no more virtual working from home. You all have to come in. Otherwise, you're out of here. It, it, how did yeah. that work out? Yeah, and it was... <laughs> there was backlash at the time yeah. because they're a technology company. They have developed some tools themselves to help people work from home. So it seemed hypocritical. But I, I knew a lot of people that worked there at the time, um, and they said it was wonderful. They said, yeah. people need to come back here because I don't know who I'm working with. Yeah, there you go. There, you know? th- it's just kind of a disembodied entity there, and it has you have no connection with them. Yeah, yep. That's true. So uh, I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Kara Asatrian, and she's the author of Stop Being Lonely, Three Simple Steps to Developing Close Friendships and Deep Relationships. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Kira Asatrian, and she's the author of Stop Being Lonely, Three Simple Steps to Developing Close Friendships and Deep Relationships. And Kira, I, I, we're, we're talking a little bit about, like, we're missing in our culture what I would call incidental contact, mm-hmm. that, that with all of these all this technology, even Facebook and Instagram and, and uh, <laughs> you know, I can't even think of the name of the other one. What's the <laughs> Twitter? Other? Twitter, that's <laughs> it. Twitter, Twitter. You can see that I'm not really well-versed in it. But um, that it, we think that we have a lot of people around us and a lot of friends and we collect more. But uh, what what would you say about mm-hmm. all of that? Yeah, I think that the the social media plus plus mobile phone combination is a, is a little bit of a perfect storm because it feels like you're carrying these people around with you all the time in your pocket and you could theoretically contact them about anything at any time. But from what I have heard from people, they don't really do that, you know, or if they do, it's few and far between. Um, and and it has the the unfortunate side effect of also taking you out of the real life present moment where you could be interacting with people. Well, I know that like for me, I I have a circle of friends that we used to live closer. We we own property together, so mm-hmm. we're kind of a commune, so to speak. And we were a circle, and we would it was just incredible. But now we're all living in different places. And it's much harder to get together. So we get together through either social media or email or what, whatever technology we use, a listserv of some sort. And But if, if we don't meet at least once, I think the optimum is at least once every nine months, face-to-face mm-hmm. at minimum, yeah. then it, it, it kind of reinvigorates the whole group. I mean, it's great to—so that's where technology is good to keep us in contact, 
but it doesn't take the place of that face-to-face. That's that's the essence of it, is that it's a great tool, um, and it, it can help maintain relationships over, you know, time and space. And people tell me these beautiful stories of, you know, somebody from high school reached out to me over Facebook, you know, 40 years later, and now right. we're married or something. So, <laughs> so those things do happen. Or someone told me the story last night that her family is widespread, and so if they're while watching a television program at the same time, <laughs> they start Twittering each other uh-huh. with all these comments. And, and she said that they can go on and on for an, for an hour or so with all these little messages back and forth. Uh, so that's kind of fun. Yeah, there are totally ways to use it in service of of real life relationships but but I think what you what you said touches upon something which is you know if you don't ever see them in person then the relationship is going to dwindle over a certain amount of time yeah. in my opinion yeah yeah or it's it's harder much harder so um let's talk about when we want to get close to someone mm-hmm. you you spend some time with your work about uh suggesting how we can do some inviting questions. Yeah. So talk about what are inviting questions? What are some examples? Yeah, questions are super, super important. Um, They are most useful for the knowing side of things, uh, for getting to know people and and allowing people to know you. Um, So when I say inviting questions, they're, first of all, open-ended um, but they're a little more than that because they they invite people to go a little bit deeper and reveal a little bit more than they would. Um, and they're also really simple and short, which I think is kind of a fun, you know, side effect. <laughs> so give an example, Kara. Mm-hmm. So my my favorite question, like of all time, is what does that get you? What does that get you? Yeah. Right. So, and, and there, you can use it in lots of different kinds of contexts, but... Like, for example, if you just met somebody and they say, you know, I, I'm leaving my job soon, you can ask them, what does that get you? Right. And then and they could say, it gets me more freedom. It gets me more money somewhere else. It lets me spend more time with my kids. And, and that thing that, that it gets them is a thing that matters to them or they wouldn't be leaving their job over it. Right. You know, so with a little simple question you got into a little bit about their actual inner life. Well, I'm, I mentioned to you before the interview started that I had an opportunity just last night. I was at a party where I knew only a few people at the party, and it's not one of my most favorite things mm-hmm. to do, but um, I love the people that uh, invited all of us together, and, and it was going to be super fun. And However, it is that what I call the stand-up cocktail party. <laughs> it wasn't actually that, but it 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 felt like it, where you're standing around with people and you don't really know them, and you're trying to strike up some conversation, maybe, or you or like me, you you want to go off in a corner and just sort of sit and <laughs> and observe everybody else. And um, but I had just finished your book, <laughs> and so I thought, oh, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try some things. So I sat down next to a person that I had never met before, and she turned out to be an interior designer. And so I tried and 
one of you know a question that that from your suggestion, and I said, well, can you tell me one thing you just love about your work? And it was a magical question because right. she just beamed, and she opened up and just shared just something really beautiful. She she shared something about, oh, I love it when people call me after I've done a design and they say, you know, I get up so happy in the morning now. <laughs> and she started talking about things like that and experiences like that, and I could just see her light up. And I was getting to know her better. And the magic thing, mm-hmm. which I often, as an my my job is interviewing. My, right. That's my job. I mean, I'm a journalist, and I interview people. And so often I find that it's not reciprocated. Mm-hmm. But in this case, she reciprocated. And I was so pleased. So that's kind of part of it, too, that we can find ourselves really learning about another person. But there is a noticing. Are are they interested in us? Yeah, that is that is an important thing to to pay attention to. It's not it's you know, it's rare for it to be a perfectly equal balance of, of give and take. But but if if you're doing all the asking and they're doing all the talking, then it, I would call that, you know, kind of a caring fail. <laughs> yeah, caring fail. So they, you notice they don't really, that. Yeah. So you would notice whether you want to pursue that relationship or not if if they're just not reciprocating or maybe they don't have the skills yet. Yeah, I think it is a skills-based thing for the most part and and some people haven't either needed to or, you know, haven't felt capable of doing some of these skills. I think that I think the big ones to look out for are definitely that the ability to reciprocate. Um, the ability to share anything, you know, if you, if you ask that woman that question and she said, I don't know, I love getting a paycheck or something, you know, and maybe that's the truth, but, but that's, but that's it. Yeah. So the ability to share some, you know, legitimate information about themselves. Although if they said (laughs) that, if they said, well, it's just getting a paycheck, I'll say, well, if and this is one of Jonathan Robinson's great questions. Well, if you had all the money in the world <laughs> and money was no object, what would you be doing? Uh huh. You know, and yeah. then that would kind of like I love that question for me to think yeah. when I get worried about something and saying, well, if what would I be doing if money were no object? Well, you're you're good at creating closeness. <laughs> I can tell you're a good question asker. <laughs> oh, um. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's it's good to have the skill and to develop it and to to aspire to be a good questioner of each other. I think so. I also, you know, I've gotten a bit of pushback from people about this question asking thing. Like, you know, you don't want to interrogate somebody. You don't want to pry. But but I think your example is perfect. That I'm sure she did not feel, you know, like you were interrogating her. It just felt like, oh, this person's interested in me. Which right. is a lovely feel- feeling, right. whether right. or not it goes anywhere. So there's a there's a piece of that I never heard of before of a research that you mention in your work um, from Arthur Aaron. <laughs> and uh, do you remember that research? Oh, yeah. uh, tell us about it. It was just so delightful. Oh, this is like a hot pop trend thing right now. Yeah. They, uh, so Dr. Arthur Aaron created years ago, uh, I think— 
in the 70s, um, created 36 questions to make anyone fall in love. Uh, so you two people ask each other these 36 questions, and it, it, he did this in his lab, and then they look into each other's eyes for four minutes, and some percentage of them, more than zero, actually did fall in love from this. <laughs> um, right? They're in the lab. I mean, They're in the lab. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, and it, it came to my attention because a reporter for the, the New York Times um, tried it with somebody, and they fell in love. So it became kind of a a, a thing. But the, the reason I included it in the book is because it's questions. Yes. Really, essentially, they're just asking each other deepening questions. Right. In fact, and, and you can find it online, the, yeah. the 36 questions. And so uh, I found it online. And I uh, sent it to all my circle friends <laughs> and said, hey, here are some questions. I mean, even even if we are in intimate relationships, you know, we might want to look at those questions and, yeah. and kind of test each other out or not test, but to yeah. to help each other to, to answer some things that maybe might surprise us. There's also, the other thing is that there's just no wrong answer to these things. Yeah. You know, if somebody doesn't know what they would, I don't know them off the top of my head, yeah. but, you know, what do you want to be in 10 years? If you don't know, that's an answer too. Exactly, exactly. One of the things that I, I really liked that you also shared, not to ask the question, why? Mm-hmm. Why do you do that? Or why is it like that for you? And I remember years ago, um, Sir Lawrence Vanderpost um, said, <clears throat> why is a demented question? <laughs> that always stuck, it stuck with me. Uh, so why would you say why <laughs> is a demented question? That's funny. Don't you think yeah. of like the five-year-old who's like, but why? Well, yeah. The sky is blue. Why? Because of light. Why? 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 No, that's not, that's not actually why. Um, it's because... <laughs> It's because if you if you can ask your question with either usually what or how, you will get better answers. So it's more of a functional thing than anything else. Almost any question that you would ask as a why, you could ask as a what or a how. So that's just a little technique, so to speak. And also going back to relationships, uh, another piece of advice you have is not to apologize with an if. Mm. So we'll talk about that in just one moment. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Kira Asatrian, and she is the author of Stop Being Lonely, Three Simple Steps to Developing Close Friendships and Deep Relationships. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Kira Asatrian, and we're talking about developing closer friendships and deeper relationships. She's the author of Stop Being Lonely. And Kira, um, when we're in a relationship, if we need to, you encourage us, if we need to make an apology, if we say something like, well, I'm sorry if I caused you stress. Yeah. There's a better way of doing that. That's not a real apology, is it? That's not a real apology, unfortunately. Yeah, I talk about that a little bit later in the book when when you're fully in, you know, a, a, a quote-unquote deep relationship with somebody, when you really are with somebody. Um, and sometimes you're going to mess up or sometimes they're going to mess up. So learning how to apologize is, is, is pretty great. And the, the core of an apology is taking responsibility for something that happened in the disagreement. So better said, um, I'm sorry for yes. uh, causing you stress instead of I'm sorry if I cause you stress. Right. It, it really Those two it un- have a subtle but— it undermines the whole thing because yeah. you're not you're not stating that there was an actual effect yeah. to whatever it is that you did. Exactly, exactly. So while we're on the the subject of closeness in relationship, especially um, let's say a love relationship, mm-hmm. you have pointed out in your work, and I'm sure in your couples work that you do in your coaching couples that when we are actually really close to another, we are changed. Mm-hmm. We, it, it, you know, we don't come together and we stay in our own little silo of who we are <laughs> and who we are, but we start to affect each other. And we, so what can you say about expecting that identity change? Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting topic to me. It's a little more theoretical than some of the other stuff I talk about. Um, but yeah, how to essentially not lose yourself in in a very close relationship because that's the danger of it. And there actually have been studies that I didn't end up putting in the book, but about how when somebody feels like somebody that they're very closely attached to, you know, messes up. It feels like an affront to one's own identity, and then they suddenly want to pull away. Right. So a lot of relationships can be can be damaged over time by this feeling of like we're one person. <laughs> I'm just reminded uh, uh, of the Gibran mm. uh, piece that he does about love, about you know not falling into each other, but standing as two pillars that hold up a single roof, but but not to be drinking from the yeah. same cup. Yeah, there are a lot of lovely metaphors about this. One of the ones that I like is when two people come together, let's say one person's a chair and one person is a table. The chair doesn't become the table and the table doesn't become the chair. They become the dining room set yes. or something like that. Yes. Like it, it, it creates a new, more... Uh, capable, more complete, maybe, but it creates a new thing. I remember years ago, I think it was speaking with Linda and Charlie Bloom, who Mm -hmm. do a lot of relationship work, and I believe it was them uh, who who, uh, we were laughing, even on air, I believe, about, well, when a couple breaks up, 
who gets the relationship. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. because there is this uh, entity that's separate in some ways. I think there is, and I think it's important to to really maintain it as its own thing that you are actively creating together. Because then it's not, it's much less about, you know, changing the other person so that they can like nicely mesh into your own identity or vice versa. That's quite unhealthy in the, in the long run. It's about the two of you are coming together to create a new thing together. Right. And, and then, and that's ongoing. I, I think that I remember you're saying this, just boggle my mind. It says, pardon me if I'm not quoting it correctly, but relationship is a product that never ships. Did, <laughs> yeah, did I quote I did that right? Say, I think I think something so. like that. It's does that sound like that. familiar? It does. And what do you mean by that? I, I loved it. It's essentially what I mean is that it's never you're never done. It's never complete. Um, it's something that's always being formed and created and, and always being maintained over so periods of time. So it's a work in progress yeah. and, and, as you say, constantly maintained. You can't just let it coast. You really can't. The thing about all of this is that it does take energy and effort to maintain these types of relationships. So I try to kind of, you know, make it clear to people that you don't need to do this with every person that you meet. You know, these are your closest, closest relationships right. that you will have in your life. Going back to what we were talking about at the very beginning of the program, we were talking about efficiency. Mm-hmm. And uh, our our good friend and former guest, Bill McDonough, uh, has said, William McDonough has said, um, it, it's not about efficiency, it's about effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And he constantly changes that word efficiency to what is effective. Yeah. And, uh, so that might hopefully be the new word for the new millennium. Uh, what is effective rather than what is efficient? Yeah. What that reminds me of is, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff I do around feelings and and getting at people's emotions and all of that kind of work. It's sometimes it feels a little touchy feeling, but the, the the reason that I promote it is that it actually works better. Like people want to come closer to you when you understand how they're feeling. Sometimes the thing that feels the the softest <laughs> actually works the best. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know that you end your book with um, it's how it's important that we in order to get closer to others, we really must mm-hmm. be close to ourselves. So can you say something about being getting closer to ourselves? Yeah, you know what's funny about that whole part is I, I wrote the I wrote the whole book without that part. And then my my editor was like, You're kind of expecting that people have done a lot of self work <laughs> before they started this whole closeness thing. And I was like, You're right. I there you're right. There needs to be something about that. Because, you know, if somebody starts posing to you these inviting questions and you really don't know anything about your own inner world, then it can be very befuddling. Um, So essentially, it's about getting to know yourself better and showing yourself that you care. So doing some types of self-care is typically what it's called. Well, I would think that that it's harder, at least in my experience, to forgive ourselves 
to to get out of our own guilt and shame than it is for us to forgive others. So, so getting to know ourselves is maybe not as easy a task as it might seem. It it is a tall order. I think so. I I would also say that it's that's also never done. You know, so you wouldn't want to wait until you are completely, utterly close to yourself to start having close relationships with others. They can be done in tandem. Um, but yeah, the I, I think that understanding a little bit about your own needs, your own values, your own motivations is is super important. So what would you suggest about how we would find out our own wants? Mm. Because you talk about know your own wants and know your own values. So how what how would we find out about mm-hmm. what our wants are? Well, typically we kind of <laughs> so wants tend to stay very much like on the surface level of of what's going on in our lives, but they also have an element that's slightly deeper that's usually some kind of need. So like an example would be I want a new pair of shoes. That doesn't feel deep in any type of way. But if you take a moment to pause and give yourself a little bit of space to sort of consider what this purchase is about, it could be, you know, I want to look more sophisticated at work so that people take me more seriously, or I want them for this purpose that is a little bit more than the shoes themselves. Sometimes it won't lead to anything, but sometimes it actually will. And then you'll understand a little bit more about what's really driving you to do things. So it might go to that question you spoke about earlier. You, When you say, okay, I want these pair of shoes, then you could ask yourself the question, what will this get me? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I love what will that get you. Yeah. So, <laughs> or yeah. what will that get me? Get yeah. Me, yeah. So that, that would be an, a deepening question to understand why you want the pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. Maybe you need a pair of shoes, but who knows? Sometimes so, yeah. it's not deep, yeah. but, but allowing yourself the opportunity to consider that it might be deep will, will lead to some things over time. You also uh, say that finding our values is a little harder to uncover. Yeah, I think so. I make a distinction between needs and values um, in that I think that most people generally need the same types of things. Um, they need work. They need rest. You know, they need food. A lot of these, like, very essential things. And then values are more about w- what really makes you, like, come alive in life. And that can be a huge array of different things. It could be, you know, being a parent. It could be, um, you know— advocating for equality. It could be anything. Yes. So the fact that it's so, you know, wide open, it, it can be hard to identify them, and they change. And they change, and they change. So I, I, I know that we could talk about many, many <laughs> other things. We've just kind of feel like I, I think we've touched the surface and maybe a little bit more, hopefully. And um, so I just want to thank you so much Kira, for being with us today on New Dimensions. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's my pleasure. I've been speaking with Kira Asatrian, and I want to remind you, she spells her name in case you all want to look this up, Kira, K-I-R-A, her last name Asatrian, A-S-A-T-R-Y-A-N, Kira Asatrian. She's the author of Stop Being Lonely, Three Simple Steps to Developing Close Friendships and Deep Relationships. 
I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3577. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.